Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. This week's Torah reading is no picnic. As complex, confusing, and gross as the medical manuals my physician father used to leave on our kitchen table growing up. A laundry list of diseases, discolorations, discharges, and malignancies. What they are, how they're transmitted, how they're diagnosed, and ultimately, how they are treated. Those with delicate constitutions would be well advised to have glossed over this taxonomy of rashes, swellings, and skin eruptions. I should note, however, in the presence of our B'nai Mitzvah, that longitudinal studies have demonstrated a direct correlation between being called up to the Torah today and the launch of many a medical career. As a non-clinician, far more interesting to me than the pathologies described are the pastoral and communal questions raised by the Torah reading, specifically the conditions and procedures by which a person once afflicted but now healed is reintegrated into community. Of all the reintegrations described, this year my attention has been directed to the journey of the Mitzora. Now, nobody really knows what plague or disease Sarat refers to, but for the purposes of our discussion, it's sufficient to note that it's a condition which requires quarantine of the afflicted until that person has recovered. But what's really interesting about the process of the Mitzorah's reintegration into community is that upon recuperation, in order to return back to the Israelite camp, the Mitzorah is required to appear before the Kohen, the priest, without delay. It's a requirement, as noted in a midrash cited by Vered Hollander Goldfarb of the conservative yeshiva, and this is the important part, even against his will. The phrasing is curious, and the thinking, at first blush, counterintuitive. A person has been rendered stricken, a condition that has not only compromised his or her health, not only presumably caused physical discomfort, but has also resulted in that person being isolated from community for an extended period. Wouldn't one think that person would seek to immediately and energetically re-engage with community? Wouldn't one think that person jump? at the chance to see their friends, be with community, punch into work, and go back to pre-Mitzora normal? Why the requirement to appear before the Kohen? Why the insistence that the meeting be arranged without delay, even or especially when the once afflicted individual is reluctant to do so? The question ancient as it may be, is a question to which our present experience speaks to directly. Because what is our moment, if not a moment contemplating, preparing, and feeling the pounding anxiety 
of reintegration into community after an extended period of social isolation. It's not like we didn't have anxieties already. The toll of COVID has been devastating. Lives lost, human frailty laid bare, lost opportunity and life experience, losses too many and too deep to catalog. Our lives have been disrupted, our work-life balance and boundaries upended, that is, if we are among the lucky to have our livelihoods maintained. We did our best to muscle through a year of crisis by way of adrenaline, grit, and crisis management, but our resilience has its limits. We all suffer from fatigue, from this sprint-turned-marathon, and from the thread of our social fabric stretched thin. This week, I caught up and compared notes with a few clergy colleagues on how they were faring during this time. They reflected on their jobs as a constant game of whack-a-mole, what it seems like, what it feels like, to lead services by way of Zoom or with the Eichmann plexiglass encasement around them, their schedules turned over to matters of AV production, COVID protocols, and the unceasing cascade of difficult decisions and uncomfortable budgetary choices. It's not just that clergy are spending time doing stuff that they never learned in rabbinical school. It's that they are spending very little time doing the stuff that they actually went to rabbinical school for in the first place, that they were actually hired for, like teaching or pastoral care or being in the company of the Jewish lives and community that they are being asked to build. I can only speak to being a rabbi. I don't know what it's like to be a classroom teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, or a taxi driver, but I imagine it's all the same. We're all doing things we never imagined we would do at a pace and isolation not of our choosing and at the expense of things we actually want to do. We're all feeling the burnout and the trauma, physically, mentally, and professionally, exhausted, isolated, and depressed. They say you can't pour from an empty cup. And right now, friends, our cup most certainly does not runneth over. And now we're being told, like the Mitzorah of old, that it's time to return to camp and community. It's time to jump right back in. I know, I know, it's all very exciting. Spring is coming, flowers are out, vaccinations on the rise, and grandchildren are able to see their grandparents. I'm as energized as anyone to return back to normal. To have Minion in person last Sunday morning for the first time in over a year brought me and many attendees literally to tears. But if you peel beneath that optimism, what you'll also find is a whole lot of anxiety. Why? Well, I'm no social scientist, but anecdotally, I can think of all sorts of reasons. First, there's anxiety over vaccinations. Not just because of the bumpy rollout or the question of variants, but because I know that not every American is as gung-ho about vaccines as I am a deficit in confidence that wasn't helped with this week's news of a pause. Besides, if you have young kids, even if you are vaccinated, your children are not. No small issue when thinking about summer, childcare, school next fall. It's one thing to plan school, shul, or otherwise when everyone's vaccinated or everyone's not. But what about when some people are and some people are not? How do you accommodate people's diverse behavioral choices 
when you're trying to run a single institution. The questions are getting more, not less complicated. The second source of anxiety comes from a realization that no matter the promise of good news, we're nowhere near out of the woods. It's all very nice to talk about reopening and going back to work, but I suspect our country's herd mentality is gonna get us into a lot of trouble before we reach herd immunity. It used to be the case that if you took the subway, the way to thumb your nose at authority was to play your music too loud. Well, now it's the refusal to wear a mask. And let me tell you, our present civic spirit isn't one that really encourages one citizen to call another to account. I personally can walk to work every day, and the less my teenage kids see me, the happier they are. But if you're a single mother in Queens who's expected to take a subway to work every morning, is it fair for an employer to ask her to stand shoulder to shoulder with unmasked strangers on the 7 train? These are complicated ethical and perhaps even legal questions, not to mention the ethical elephant in the room as to whether vaccinations will be required for staff, for students, or for Jews in the pews. Again, when we were on lockdown, it was actually simpler in the sense that nobody expected anyone to go anywhere. But now it's that much more complicated. Workplaces aren't synced with schools. Some people must come to work to do their jobs. Others are able to do their jobs remotely. Some people get to close their office doors. Others sit in open office plans. Is it possible to treat everyone equitably, but not equally? There's a lot of gray area, a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out. None of us have a crystal ball. And at risk of stating the obvious, nobody is actually trained to handle these questions. We're all preparing for a new normal that none of us know what it will actually look like. Perhaps most importantly, and I think it's this point that our Torah reading understands better than anyone, is that the trauma of this past year has taken a psychosocial toll, the meaning of which we are not even close to understanding. For some, working from home is great. For others, less so. But the fact of our one year plus separation has resulted in a weakening of social bonds by which our personal and professional communities are constituted. It was nerve wracking for that Mitsura to think about re-entering community, just like it's nerve wracking for us. More than any other people, Jews understand that when you experience loss, it takes time to reintegrate back into normalcy one week, one month, one year at a time. Post-traumatic recovery is not some sort of switch that flips and all fears magically dissipate. There is tremendous social anxiety built into whatever the next months have in store. And we do ourselves and our communities a tremendous disservice if we just sweep it under the rug, imagining there will be seamless returns to pre-pandemic normal. All of which, I believe, our Torah reading understood all along. The Torah is unapologetic in its insistence that the Mitzorah, when physically safe to do so, engages in conversation on reintegration. It may be human to want to avoid it, to curl up indefinitely cocoon-like, 
but our social hibernation, willingly or unwillingly, must come to an end. We are going to return to community. The power of the text, however, is not just the insistence that the Metzoras step up for the conversation, but the insistence that the Kohen engage in a pastoral conversation with the Metzora. According to the commentary, the Kohen must literally go outside the camp to meet the angst-ridden, once-afflicted Metzora physically and spiritually where they are, to hear their concerns and to understand their fears. Then and only then can the process of reintegration happen, the precise terms of which are never actually spelled out. In other words, while there's not any one right way to do reintegration, there is a wrong way, and that's to do it without a conversation, without communication, without acknowledging the human condition of the other. We have to engage. We have to be in dialogue with each other, have an exchange of views, a process that involves speaking, and more importantly, listening, judging everyone generously, and most importantly, keeping our sense of humor. God knows we've been through an awful lot apart. As we imagine coming back together, let's do it together, filling our cups so that one day soon, please God, we will raise them in person, toasting L'chaim to life. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.